Hi, my name is Jim Lewis. And my name's Chris Painter. Welcome to Inside Cyber Diplomacy. Between the two of us, I think we know almost everyone involved in cyber diplomacy. And the idea behind this is really to have frank conversations with those leaders in this area and bring that to the rest of the world, this new area of diplomacy, and talk to these leaders about what's going on. Our plan is that you'll hear things on this podcast that you're not going to hear anywhere else. Frank, not scripted, direct conversations. Hope you like it. I know we will. So please listen in. back here we are again our last episode what was our last episode chris our last episode was uh the first one featuring just the two of us instead of a, a guest and talking about the Im- incoming biden administration and and some of the our thoughts and and uh and hopes were uh where it was, might be going and that was about a, about a little over a month ago i think at that point it wasn't clear biden was going to make it but <laughs> now that he's in he has a pretty good team um what would you have them do first so I do think, in part, you know, people is uh, is a big part of it, and and you're quite right that you know he's still assembling the team, but many of the folks, all the folks he's put in place, are are people who understand these issues, which is good, have a lot of background, which is really good. I think the number one thing they have to do is uh, is take stock of what's happened over the last four years and kind of meld what was <laughs> well. There were many bad things, but there were some good things too. And so I think- it, Yeah, one or two, that's right. It's melding the progress that was made under Obama, a lot of the structural and focused progress, melding it with some of the operational things I think that were done over the last four years. And then really think about consistent messaging and a consistent unified structure where there is interagency collaboration and not kind of this free-for-all that we saw in the last four years. One of the dilemmas that they will face, and you know how I feel about this is, Congress, in its infinite wisdom, managed to get itself intruded into the process and create a cyber coordinator job, which, as you pointed out, is something we recommended in our, our group yeah. uh, more than a decade ago. But of course, now you've got a dilemma because you have Ann Newberger, a great person, really an excellent choice, as Deputy National Security Advisor, and you have this to-be-determined cyber coordinator. My fear, you look at the drugs are, you end up on out on like Montana Avenue near American University or something in the satellite office. How is this going to work? I mean, Anne and the to-be-determined coordinator need to come to an understanding. Does the coordinator get shuffled aside? What's your prediction? Well, look, I, I kind of understand why Congress did it and why the Solarium Commission recommended it. As you say, both your group and and when I did the was in the part of the team in the Obama the BPC yeah yeah and the, you know we we uh, as part of the cyberspace policy review back in the the sixty day review as we called it suggested something at this level I thought it was ninety well it ended up being ninety <laughs> so, uh, but uh, we yeah. counted sixty we got the report in on sixty days so that was our we met our deadline you know I think I understand why Congress said look especially with, with what happened under Trump where the position was just abandoned and erased that they wanted some permanence there and they wanted some structure around it to make sure they had that permanence. Now, it also, in terms of the legislation, there were certain things that were excluded from it, like influence over Title 10 and Title 50 operations, for instance, although it's supposed to bring all of the government resources together to respond to cyber events and also defend against them. So at a minimum, I think this, this position that Anzen 
this deputy national security advisor has to work incredibly closely with this other position. And, and frankly, also other positions in the government, like uh, Rob Silvers, who uh, appears to be uh, headed to be the head of uh, CISA as well. But those two White House positions really have to almost mind meld. Uh, if they don't, I think it's a recipe for uh, for more organization and turf wars. And, and we can't afford that anymore. We can't, we cannot afford that. And you're right, you know, proximity is power. If you have an office and who knows where this new 75 person eventually group is going to be, but Anne and NSC is right there, right? Right. Working with Jake Sullivan, working with the president, this person has to have that kind of proximity to the president and has to work closely with that national security team or else you're not going to have an integrated policy. Yeah, I understand there's some very nice office space out by Union Market. So we'll we'll see what happens. You remember when Dick Clark was uh, was in his position? Yeah. Uh, the offices were still a few blocks in the White House. And a few blocks in the White House, you might as well be on another planet, as, as you said. Yeah, I don't think people always realize that. So I would go to Eastern Market or Union Market because you're going to get better food. But the immediate problem that I think the administration is taking the right approach on is what to do about Russia and Russia's, I mean, for me, I don't know about you, but for me, solar winds was like, so what else is new? You know, a lot of targets, sure, I get it. But this, ha- this has been happening for more than a decade. Why are we suddenly excited now? And what should we do about it? Well, I think there are a few reasons. I mean, I, like you, uh, I think ultimately this very sophisticated espionage. It's espionage. You yeah. know, there was a lot of excitement. That it was pre-positioning that this is more going to be more destructive. Yeah, you had Brad Smith come out and raise some issues of whether this is different because of the method of attack or method of intrusion. It's not an attack uh, going through the supply chain. Uh, that it hit a lot of price. And you and I both know why we're not going to say yes. That's not different. Yeah, right, exactly. I'm just I'm just giving you the arguments now. Okay, uninformed arguments. <laughs> There are those who say that uh, because it compromised a lot of private se- sector devices, that it's different that way. But as as you know, this happens in a lot of other events too. So, and you also, you know, we we both know, and I think most of our audience knows that you're never going to get countries to agree not to do espionage. You know, that's yeah. never that's not going to be a norm that ever happens. Can you cabinet in some way and say that certain types of espionage are off limits? Well, we did that with intellectual property. That worked out so well. Well, but I mean, I think that's that's an argument you can make because it's a cleaner type of, of, you know, it's not preventing you from actually state, taking the information. That's a different issue, which is our fuzzy foreign friends might very well be willing to make commitments, but how do you get them to actually live up to them? Right. And we'll get to that next, because I think that accountability is still a big issue. So, so you know, I think the big, biggest benefit it had, frankly, is raised awareness just as a new administration was coming in, and it made it clear this is an issue because... Yeah, look, we have to do better at protecting our assets than we have before. You know, we had all this talk about how great our, you know, some of the things we were doing, including the defend forward persistent engagement, which is supposed to hunt forward on networks and see what's out there. We didn't see that. Now, you're never going to see everything, and I'm not blaming those guys, but I just think that we need to think about, okay, how do we allocate our resources? How do we make sure we're looking at these things? How do we bounce back when this inevitably happens? Because a lot of stuff was apparently taken, so this is not good. Yeah. And if you were going to do a quick summary, you would say that the Russians have put a lot of points on the board in the last decade, right? And we have not. And there's always this argument, well, if only you knew the dark secrets. And it's like, well, I actually know the dark secrets and the Russians are putting more points on the board than we are. So I don't know if that argues for a more assertive approach by the U.S. I don't know what it, that's what I would probably think. I don't know what challenges it poses for the Biden team. 
Is it even worth trying to talk to the Russians? Well, as as you know, when this happened just prior to the election, too, Putin himself wanted a dialogue, you know, and they the Russians have been pushing for this ever since we put on hold the the joint uh, presidential commission dialogue after the invasion of Ukraine. But the problem is when when Putin says this right now, it's more sort of a show trial, right? It's like we want to have a dialogue. So everything is okay. Everything is good here. Move on, you know, and it's not okay. Come see my new palace. It's not okay for a lot of reasons. So I do think it's worthwhile to have low-level dialogues to talk about things like making sure the hotlines are working. Oh, hotlines. Well, but, you know, I think making sure that they're on operation, if, you know, we use those in the Cold War for things. That's a hint. They they didn't work very well with cyber yet. There are things where you need communication, at least. So a certain senior U.S. cyber diplomat, whom you know quite well, recently I said to her, hey, I'm going to talk to the Russians. What do you want me to ask them? And she said, uh, ask them what's the use of a hotline when the other side always denies everything. Well, yeah. I mean, look, this is the thing. Even if they deny it. I did ask them, but then I slipped up and used the word indictment. (laughs) And they got very upset. I mean, I was surprised. They were actually shouting. You know, I don't expect people to say it's a fair copy got me, right? But if you have a way to to have at least some some channel of communication, and there are multiple ones, diplomatic, presidential, etc. So do I think we should talk to the Russians at some level? Or engage with them, I guess, probably, but not at the level they're asking for. And I think we've also demonstrated very clearly just by this new start issue that we can walk and chew gum at the same time. You know, we can we can actually advance the things we need to with Russia. Who us? That's a bold statement. Well, that we've started to at least, right? So we're going through a new start, and at the same time, we were at least in words, we're pressuring Russia and saying that's actually what the Russians said: is you know, if we do this, it has to be tagged to new start and open skies. You know, so we want a comprehensive approach to strategic uh, blah blah blah. But you know, there's some there's some value in that in the sense that the U.S. has been terrible at imposing consequences on Russia and having accountability across the board. You know, yes, there have been some sanctions and yes, there's been some persistent engagement, and stuff, but it's not been uniform or something that's going to change Putin's calculus. The Russians have figured out how to get our own sanctions. They're like sanctions, sanctions, well, who cares? Yeah. Right. So I wouldn't even bother anymore. Well, except for we'd never have done sanctions right, right? We lifted the sanctions against Deripaska, which was a Putin ally for no particular good reason. You saw that Theresa May with the skirple poisoning didn't go after the thing Putin cares about, which is like, People's holdings in London, their actual, you know, his current, that's the thing he cares about. We haven't done that and we haven't had this uniform approach. Will that work? I don't know, but we should do it and send that message, I think. Uh, And we can do that. And And when you go back to your other point, you know, we don't have lots of levers with Russia. We have more with China. And why we got China to at least come to the table on the intellectual property issue is we said this is part of the overall China relationship. This is not some cyber thing. We need to do that with Russia, too. We need to use all the different tools we have, whatever they are. If they want something, we hold that hostage to something we want, just like you would in any other area. And cyber has to be part of that, especially when we're seeing this malicious activity. Yeah, I um, I was at a conference at Canary Wharf and uh, went out for a run in the morning and looked when I got back, looked on the hotel, and there was a tiny plaque about the size of an iPad that said, this giant hotel, you know, 30-story hotel, is property of the Moscow Real Estate Trust. Well, I thought, well, here's a leverage point. <laughs> that's right. And and I do think, you know, taking it back to what the Biden administration is doing, at least they've said the right words so far, right? So you have yeah. Biden say this, the president say this, you've had Tony Blinken say this in his confirmation. Yeah. 
this hasn't been an issue they've all at all avoided. They've been pretty strong in raising these issues uh, themselves and saying they're going to do something. The trick is also, yeah. as you know, following through, but at least the words are there and that's good. So my advice has been, you need follow through, you need consequences, but you also need the Europeans. Yes. Europeans seem a bit squiffy these days. I mean, Merkel, uh, she's ambivalent, barely describes it. I mean, she's probably still mad about Trump. Who can blame her? Yeah. But I'm not sure. It's not going to be a, a cakewalk to get the Europeans to come back and link arms. You're right. Although I think there's going to be a lot of progress getting European, the Japanese, other allies back on our side across the board, because we're not going to be at a higher level. We're not going to be pushing the way on on like economic and other issues. We're going to be working with them. They'll be more willing to work with us on cyber. I was heartened by what the, um, you know, the Europeans did in imposing sanctions, which I never thought they'd all agree because it requires consensus did that, including against Russians. My advice to everyone has been, if you want Brussels, get Berlin. So if the Germans are mad, something happens. Yeah, I, I agree that I think Germany is a real hard issue because, as you know, and this goes well beyond cyber, it's geopolitical issues. There's a lot of people in Germany who still feel, oh, the Russians, they're okay. We should work with, you know, it stems from World War II. This is a longstanding issue where especially yeah. the older generation and even some of the younger generation are more favorable toward Russia than you'd think, especially when Russia often targets. I was at a Bundeswehr conference where a senior officer proposed with other senior officers who did not demur that Germany should try and be like Switzerland. And I said, you guys don't have enough chocolate and cows to make that work. But the idea that a senior military officer would even think about being neutral, um, what the heck is going on? Well, and, and Germany does have leverage with Russia. So the Nord Stream pipeline is, yeah. is that leverage. And they don't want to use it because they balance the equities and they think their economic equities outbalance the other harm they're suffering. And so I, I do think you're right. I think we have to work closely with Germany and see if we can get them to be uh, more supportive of this. Because frankly, there have been victims too. Their Bundestag was hit, you know, yeah. also in espionage about two years ago. Oh, a lot of Germans think very similar to the way we think. So I, it just that if I was Biden, I would make my first two trips, Tokyo and Berlin, or Berlin and Tokyo. I mean, and there's places he could stop on route. But think of the four biggest economies. That's number three and four. And... Together, we are much more powerful against China than we are individually. Oh, yeah. And Biden is used to this. I mean, Biden helped build that coalition uh, against China on intellectual property theft that included Germany and included you know, Japan and included Australia and the UK. You know, I, I do think this collective approach is going to be far more powerful than going alone. And it has more legitimacy, but it also, I think, is more powerful. And, and we need to do that. And the good thing is, both Biden and Blinken, you know, they're and and Wendy Sherman and others are really accomplished at exactly that. You know, so that you're getting an administration that's coming in that's prioritizing that versus an administration that was, you know, kicking that in the shorts basically and saying, get away from here. Not to be partisan, but this is a great team. I mean, they really have some excellent people. And so I'm I'm very heartened. A lot of challenges, and I don't want to overestimate the reception we will get, particularly in Europe. We're back, ready to lead. I'm not sure there'll be a round of applause when we say that. Yeah, it will be interesting this time. When I was in the White House in 2009 and 2010, Jim Jones at first was the national security advisor. And as you recall, we were coming out from George Bush and there was a lot of friction around the world with George Bush. I mean, there was, a, you know, and, and a lot of America, a different kind of America for us, like we're going to do this stuff alone, uh, more unilateral. 
And I remember six months into the, my time there, we were having a senior staff meeting and uh, Jones came and said, you know, I'm shocked. I thought it would take us two or three years to sort of rebuild these alliances. But a lot of these countries are like, we're glad you're back. We want you back. Let's go. And I think that was true then. Now, the question now is after Trump and being bitten a second time, much worse, I'd say, than the first time. Yeah. Are they going to be trusting? Are they going to say, well, what's going to happen in four years now? Are we going to throw our lot in with you when you go away again? I've gotten some disquieting signs. Uh, one Northern European official told me that Trump showed the fragility of the transatlantic relationship. And how do they know they won't get another Trump and the whole thing will be back to square one? Yep. Another European intelligence official, when we were talking about this, he brought up 2003, he brought up uh, Iraq WMD and said, look, um, we're, we agree in principle, but if you guys come in and say it was the Russians, um, we're not going to take your word for it. And I think that's fair. So we're going to have to do a fair amount of repair work here. Um, even, and this goes back to, it goes back to, I would say, maybe to 2003, certainly to, I looked into his eyes and saw his soul. I mean, we've been, we've been uh, on the wrong end of the field for um, more, more than 12 years. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's absolutely right. I, I do worry about that. And I worry people thinking that we're not going to be trustworthy in the future. I, you know, there's, yeah. It's 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 a challenge, but I do think we you know the other challenge we hit, which you also remember, is Snowden. You know there was a lot of distrust after Snowden, and the Russians were happy and the Chinese too to pile on and try to drive wedges between us. But we recovered from that. Yeah. The thing, in my view, is if you can focus people on what is it that we want to achieve and we have common goals, then they don't have to believe us. They have the same goal. Yeah. But another part of that, Jim, and I've said this now for many years, is that we have to be far better at sharing information with our allies and partners, including figuring out how to declassify or share classified information. Yeah. Because, you know, that comes up a lot. It, it's important. Now, some countries are still going to want to independently verify. And I've heard that from countries, big countries in Europe said, look, with whatever you want, we still have to independently yeah. verify using our service. That's the way it is. But if we're not willing to give the information and you know beyond the five eyes, I think we're going to have problems. Yeah. Well, I was just happy to see that in his final moments, uh, Trump didn't pardon uh, Assange and uh, Snowden. So yeah. I think that that made me happy. Yeah, no, I, I was I was happy and a little surprised, but I was very happy. So what's up next for our podcast series? I think our next plan is Michael Walma, and then we're going to continue to hit our cyber diplomats around the world. Uh, there's a lot happening, Jim, as you know. Um, the COVID has delayed a lot of these processes. The UN uh, GG is still going on. The UN Open-Ended Working Group is going on. Where those things will land is still kind of a mystery. They have good drafts. Chair of one sent me the draft, and it was really great. So whether they'll get agreement is another matter, but the drafts are actually quite good. Well, you and I both know that the rubber meets the road in the very last meeting, and so it's good the drafts are good. I'm happy with that. And I think, you know, there's going to be lots of challenges, how the UN is going to play in this space and figure out what its role is uh, in a productive way, I think, is one. I think how countries are going to band together and, and deal with these issues, uh, particularly smaller countries, I think that's going to be yeah. how, how we deal with continued uh, Russian malign activity and, and other malign activity. I mean, I, you know, we didn't even mention this, but, you know, we're also seeing that the new team is not going to shrink from confronting China on these issues, too. I mean, it's not. Well, it's about time. It's not going back to the win-win sort of uh, era, era, I think. 
That if you were going to point to something that the Trump administration got it right, I think the approach to China. Well, uh, not always the best implemented approach, but certainly the direction was right. So I think the implementation is what you know was really lacking. Is you yeah. know, when you do things like five G is a national security issue. By the way, we can wrap up in a trade deal. You know, that that kind of messaging was just terrible. So yeah, um, it's going to be a good year. You know, I think it bears saying as you did say, Jim, too, these are lots of hard issues this team has to deal with. You know, I don't think anyone should expect a silver bull that everything will turn around instantaneously. This is going to take some... Oh, sure. It'll take them at least a year to dig themselves out of the mess and maybe longer. So, But all the omens are good. The omens are good. The omens are definitely good. The personnel is good. Yep. The leadership is good. Yep. Okay, so on that happy note, uh, let's, uh, let's close it off for another episode and we'll see you next time with Michael Walma from Canada. I'll talk to you later. All right. Talk to you later. This podcast is made possible through the generous support of the Singapore Cybersecurity Agency.